We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 232 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, January 19th, 2022. Two weeks away are we from the Washington football team announcing its new name on February 2nd. Two weeks away are we from 2.2.22. What will the new name be? Are we looking at Commanders? Are we looking at Admirals? Perhaps Hogs? Maybe Red Hogs? Maybe Belters? Could the new name be Beacons? What about Wayfarers? What will the new name be? Who knows? Some might say, who cares? Well, I care. And I know that many of you care. And you know what? I think that a lot of those who say that they don't care actually care because when you make it a point to say that you don't care, that usually means that you actually care. It's when you don't even mention or think about something at all that you actually don't care. But whatever the case, we are getting closer and closer to finding out the new name. Hello and welcome to a Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast as we await the new name for our team currently known as the Washington football team. I do have multiple Washington football team items to discuss with you on the show. We on Tuesday had news of the departure of a key person in business operations for the Washington football team. Is this a something or is this a nothing? Well, There are some things about this of which you should be aware, so I'll explore this departure with you next segment. I'm also going to do a deep dive on something that, once again, is a thing this January, and that thing is the Washington football team fans regret, the Washington football team fans lament regarding Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur. They all were Washington offensive assistants. They all have gone on to have great success as NFL head coaches. Every NFL postseason now, we have our faces rubbed in this and thus have feelings of regret and lament and woe is us. Well, there's key context that never gets mentioned with this. And so I'm going to provide that context. I'm going to speak some truth 
coming up in just a bit. Fact-based truth. No fake news on the Al Galdi podcast. Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals as they finally, finally have won an overtime game this season. A wild 4-3 overtime win over the Winnipeg Jets at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. And I'll talk Maryland basketball. Oh, things are not well with the Terrapins right now. They fell to 1-6 and six in the Big Ten with an 83-64 loss at Michigan on Tuesday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Daryl on the Washington football team's reveal of the new name on February 2nd on 2.2.22. Writes Daryl, listening in from Florida and try to download the podcast every morning to catch up on DC Sports. Thanks for being as consistent as you are. Well, thank you for that, Daryl. Continues, Daryl. Quick thoughts about new name plans and reveal. Fail. Here's why I believe this will be the case. For whatever reason, the team is hosting the event in New York City. The Today Show could have easily gone remote to DC, Ashburn, or FedEx Field, or even downtown DC like the mall. My guess is there is no love lost between the DC media and the team. So this is a bit of an FU to the local folks, but I can't think of any reason that this should happen anywhere outside of the DC metro area with the way that technology is today. The fans could have easily been a part of the event. Why is the team doing something days later versus what the team could have done in terms of a combined big event? But hey, pay $5 and let's party. I think this is a fail. Not a Sean Taylor jersey retirement fail, but given that the team has had a two-year head start, there's no excuse. Again, love the show and will always support. Thank you, Daryl. So a few things. We don't know the specifics of the Today Show thing. It is possible that the team will be announcing the name from somewhere in the D.C. area and that the Today Show will be broadcasting from where the team is making the announcement. Not the entire cast of the show, but say one person from the show. Say Craig Melvin, who's married to another media personality, Lindsay Zarniak, who used to work at NBC4 in Washington, D.C., and has a lot of ties to the Washington football team. So let's see how exactly this announcement on the Today Show is done. Maybe Tanya Snyder and Jason Wright and Craig Melvin are at FedEx Field on February 2nd. And that's how the Today Show televises the reveal of the new name. But yes, I do think that the potential very much exists for February 2nd. 4-2.2.2-2 to not go well. Mainly because our team has a history of butchering things. Like, yes, the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement. Also, you mentioned that the team is doing something days later. Yes, it is. Uh, What is being called a park and party tailgate experience. Uh, This will take place at FedEx Field on Friday night, February 4th. According to the team, quote, the event will headline a series of fan-focused events and surprise moments throughout D.C., Maryland, and Virginia, parentheses, DMV, as part of the official team brand launch beginning 
on February 2nd. The Park and Party event will run from 6 to 9 p.m. and feature fan activities, including alumni meet and greets, photo opportunities with the team's Lombardi trophies and the Washington Entertainment Team. Oh, goody, goody gumdrops, as well as a chance to preview the team's new uniforms and helmets. Event tickets are $5 per vehicle, and all proceeds will go to Washington Football Charitable Foundation programs that support the local community. End quote. So yeah, it is costing you five bucks to attend the park and party event, but the money is going to the Washington Football Charitable Foundation. So there you go. Email from Mike P. On the Nationals, writes Mike, now that football is over, I can finally look forward to the upcoming MLB season. Well, (laughs) there is a lockout going on, Mike, but I get where you're coming from. Continues, Mike. My fear, though, is that the team for which I root the Nationals is going to be the worst team in the National League East. I also would like to know what's going on with the Juan Soto contract situation. I haven't heard anything, but I would think that the longer this continues, the higher his price tag becomes. It just doesn't make sense to me. The uncertainty is concerning. I know this is going to be a process, hopefully more promise than heartbreak, but I'm not seeing a path or direction. The pitching, defense, and batting all worry me, and I'm not seeing anything to make me think otherwise. Could you shed some light on all of this? Thanks as always. Love the pod. Thank you for the email, Mike. Yeah, the Nats are in a tricky spot right now. They're coming off a terrible season, a 97 loss season. Their farm system, which was in horrendous shape, now is in better shape thanks to the massive sell-off of last late July, but the farm system still is not in great shape. The Nats' two biggest money pitchers, Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin, are two giant question marks. Strasburg, due to him having undergone surgery to correct the dreaded thoracic outlet syndrome. Corbin, because he has been a really bad pitcher over the last two seasons. And yes, Juan Soto is great, but as Mike alluded to, Soto now is three years away from free agency, and it's entirely plausible that he'll be gone once he hits free agency, especially if the Nats still aren't a good team by then. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the Nats needing to make Juan Soto a godfather offer prior to hitting free agency, like years prior to hitting free agency, like what the San Diego Padres did with shortstop Fernando Tatis Jr., you know, make Juan Soto a $450 million contract extension offer, a $500 million contract extension offer. I would be in favor of that, but as far as we know, the Nats have yet to do that. And even if the Nats do do that, it could well be that Juan Soto, who is a Scott Boris client, simply says, yeah, I'm going to wait this thing through and see where this team is at in the coming seasons in terms of being good, because the Nats were not good. The Nats were far from good last season, which I have to hope is that the young players slash prospects who the Nats do have work out. Uh, Think pitchers Josiah Gray and Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge. Think catcher K-Bert Ruiz. Think shortstop Brady House. You also have to hope that Mike Rizzo can somehow pump more quality prospects into the pipeline. That's really what the Nats need more than anything, more quality prospects in the pipeline. You can maybe do this by signing some free agents this offseason once the lockout ends and then flip those free agents to contenders this coming season. So, you know, you sign some halfway decent players to one-year contracts, and then you trade away those players if they're having good seasons at some point in the upcoming season. Also, perhaps uh, you can trade Josh Bell this coming season. Josh Bell is entering a contract season, and he did end up being a good player for the Nets 
last season. You also just have to hope for some luck. I mean, the Nats may have stumbled into something with outfielder Lane Thomas, who Rizzo got from the St. Louis Cardinals in the John Lester trade last summer. And Lane Thomas is really good as last season went on. So you got to hope that some more stuff like that happens. But yeah, the Nats are in a tough spot. I am glad that they have addressed what had become perhaps their biggest weakness, player development. I mean, either that or drafting has been the Nats' biggest weakness, but the Nats on Tuesday announced their 2022 minor league player development staff. The Nats added 14 new roles and brought in more than 20 new staff members to the team's minor league player development staff. Uh, Good. You know, we'll see if the right people were brought in, but it was long past due for the Nats to shake up their player development. Too many Nats players aren't developing, and some guys at the major league level have actually gotten worse. You know, Patrick Corbin has gotten worse. Victor Robles has gotten worse, even though, yes, Patrick Corbin isn't a function of Nats player development, right? Nats signed him as a free agent. Tweet from Steven on the Washington football team. Right, Steven, do you think I could call Paulson and Nace? I have a major medical issue. My heart has been broken since Daniel Snyder has been an owner. I have to repair it soon. Please help me. Thanks. Well, good question, Stephen. I'm not sure if Paulson and Nace can help with that, but we can always try. Call 202-902-7611 because if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a law firm that's ready to represent you. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people. These are smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Again, it's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, If you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yes, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace and see what Paulson and Nace can do for you. That phone number again, 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. One, one. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, so we had some Washington football team news on Tuesday. This was news on the business side, not on the football side, but this was news that could affect the football side. So the Los Angeles Dodgers of, yes, Major League Baseball on Tuesday announced the hiring of Damon Jones as an assistant general manager. Damon Jones had been the chief legal officer for the Washington football team. So Damon Jones has jumped from the Washington football team of the National Football League to the Los Angeles Dodgers of Major League Baseball. Damon Jones had been Washington's chief legal officer. He essentially had been 
Washington's top lawyer. Washington hired Damon Jones in December 2020. So Damon Jones has left the Washington football team after just 13 or so months to go to work for the Dodgers. Now, Damon Jones has a background of working in MLB. He, in fact, worked for the Nationals for a number of years. Damon Jones worked for the Nats from July 2007 to February 2020 as Senior Vice President and General Counsel of Baseball and Business Operations. Stan Kasten worked for the Nats from May 2006 to October 2010 and became the Dodgers President and CEO on April 30th, 2012. So right there is Damon Jones' connection to the Dodgers' Stan Kasten. Now, Damon Jones leaving the Washington football team may well be a nothing story. I'm not trying to make this into some gigantic ordeal, but with our football team, you never know. And so there are some things to be thinking about. Two things stand out to me about Damon Jones leaving the Washington football team. The first is that Damon Jones has left the Washington football team so soon after coming to the Washington football team. His tenure with the team again lasted from December 2020 to January 2022. Again, a mere 13 or so months. That is not a long time. Now, as mentioned, Jones has this connection with Stan Kasten and has this history in MLB. So it's quite possible that the allure of working for Kasten and the Dodgers was just too much. However, if you know your Washington football team business operations history, you know that there is a history of people not always lasting for long with the Washington football team. Probably the most famous example of this is the Brian LaFamina debacle. Do you remember Brian LaFamina? Brian LaFamina in 2018 lasted for less than a year as Washington's president of business operations and chief operating officer. He got hired. The team made a very big deal about him being hired. He did a bunch of interviews talking about all of the things that he was going to make better about the team, especially from a stadium standpoint, and he ended up being out in less than a year. What happened was that Dan Snyder quickly soured on Brian LaFamina, in part because LaFamina kept talking about how bad things had been and how he was here to make things better. A story that I was once told was that Brian LaFamina at one point said to Dan Snyder, we are going to make the Redskins great again, right? Obviously making a play off the Donald Trump campaign slogan, make America great again. Brian LaFamina said to Dan, we are going to make the Redskins great again. And Dan didn't like that. Uh, Dan was not a fan of being told by Brian LaFamina, we're going to make the Redskins great again, because in Dan's mind, the Redskins have always been great. And so LaFamina ended up being out in less than a year, also in part, by the way, because LaFamina wanted Bruce Allen out, and Brucey won that power play in his Machiavellian Bruce Allen kind of way. Also lasting for less than a year with Washington were a bunch of Brian LaFamina's guys, Uh, Chief Marketing Officer Steve Ziff, Chief Commercial Officer Todd Klein, Senior Vice President of Consumer Sales Jake Bai. They were all out in less than a year. Now, for just about any other fan base in sports, something like the Brian LaFamina saga would not have even registered. But with Washington, the Brian LaFamina saga became a big deal, so much so that him leaving so soon after being hired was the inspiration for the hashtag FireBruceAllen campaign. Yes, 
Hashtag Fire Bruce Allen started in December 2018 off the departure of Brian LaFamina from Washington. Now, I'm not saying that Damon Jones's departure is a Brian LaFamina situation, but it's hard for that not to come to mind, and it's hard not to wonder why Jones is gone so soon after arriving. Is Damon Jones leaving an instance of a guy who said to himself about working for the Washington football team, the heck with this team and all of its messes, the heck with this owner, I'm going to go join a much better organization in the Dodgers and work for a guy in Stan Caston who I know and trust. Understand this about Damon Jones. He is an accomplished guy. He went to Harvard Law School. He went to the Wharton School. He doesn't need the Washington football team and all of its problems. He can make a lot of money in a lot of other places. The second thing that stands out to me about Damon Jones leaving the Washington football team is that he had been very involved in the Washington football team's search for a new stadium. Yes, the search for a new stadium. A search that is taking forever. A search that seems to be going nowhere. What will happen first? The Washington football team will have a new stadium or the Washington football team will have a franchise quarterback. I'm not sure. But again, you have to wonder about the why with the departure of Damon Jones. Is him leaving the team an indictment of the search for a new stadium that has taken far longer than it was supposed to take? Also, to what extent is Jones leaving Washington another blow to the search for a new stadium? I mean, presumably... Him leaving doesn't help, right? Presumably him leaving doesn't make things any easier for Washington to strike a deal for a new stadium. Although maybe Glenn Youngkin becoming Virginia governor makes things easier for Washington to strike a deal for a new stadium. Youngkin seems to be gung-ho on Virginia getting the stadium. Youngkin on Monday in his address to the Joint Assembly, quote, while we're at it, let's broaden the baseball stadium authority to include football and perhaps we'll get one of those two end quote. But back to Damon Jones. Look, when it comes to this business operation stuff, there's a lot that we don't know. I fully admit that. However, given what we do know about what has gone on with the Washington football team, I think that it's totally fair to ask questions. And bottom line for us as Washington football team fans, do not hold your breath on a new stadium. Washington's current lease at FedEx Field is set to expire in 2027. It seems to be a lock that Washington will be at FedEx Field at least through the end of that lease and quite possibly beyond that. Up next, much more on the Washington football team. The truth about something that has become a tradition in the DMV. The January lamenting, the January regret over the team currently known as the Washington football team, having had Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur as offensive assistants. Yes, Washington had all three of those guys. And yes, all three are doing quite well as NFL head coaches. But there's a lot more to the situation than just that. Enough with the woe is us stuff. It's time for some truth. I'll give you that truth straight ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. So as you may have noticed, as you may have heard, uh, as you may have read, Super Wild Card Weekend in the 2022 NFL playoffs resulted in three of the final four teams in the NFC being teams with former Washington offensive assistants as head coaches. Talking about Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur. San Francisco 49ers head coach Kyle Shanahan. He was Washington's offensive coordinator from 2010 through 2013. Los Angeles Rams head coach Sean McVay, he was an offensive assistant for Washington from 2010 through 2016. McVay was Washington's assistant tight ends coach for the 2010 season. He was Washington's tight ends coach from 2011 through 2013. He was Washington's offensive coordinator from 2014 through 2016. And Green Bay Packers head coach Matt LaFleur, he was Washington's quarterbacks coach from 2010 through 2013. The 2022 NFL playoffs mark a third consecutive NFL postseason in which we have had a lot of talk of former Washington assistants Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur all doing well as head coaches. This has become an annual tradition in the Washington, D.C. area. We have the cherry blossoms in May. We have the lament of Kyle, Sean, and Matt in January. That's just the way that things go here in the D.C. area. The 2020 NFL playoffs, Kyle Shanahan's 49ers beat Matt LaFleur's Packers in the NFC Championship game, 37-20. The 2021 NFL playoffs, Matt LaFleur's Packers beat Sean McVay's Rams in the divisional round, 32-18. So yes, each of the last three Januaries now, we've had two or more of these three former Washington offensive assistants doing well in the NFL playoffs. And each of the last three Januaries now, we will have had two of these guys facing off with each other because among the games coming up this divisional round weekend is, right, Kyle Shanahan's 49ers at Matt LaFleur's Packers Saturday night at 8.15. 
all three guys are doing quite well as NFL head coaches. The 49ers hired Kyle Shanahan as head coach in February 2017. He, over his five regular seasons as 49ers head coach, is under 500. That is true, 39 and 42. But he has won an NFC West title and he won an NFC championship for the 2019 season. The Rams hired Sean McVay as head coach in January 2017. He, over his five regular seasons as Rams head coach, is 55 and 26 with three NFC West titles. And he won an NFC championship for the 2018 season. The Packers hired Matt LaFleur as head coach in January 2019. He, over his three regular seasons as Packers head coach, is 39 and 10 with three NFC North titles. The conversation regarding Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur all doing well, of course, is centered around the idea of Washington had all of these guys. Each guy either got fired by Washington or was allowed to leave by Washington. And now, as they are all thriving as head coaches, Washington continues to struggle. And no doubt, there's truth in all of this. But, and this is a big but, there also is context that is necessary with all of this. And so here are some key points about our annual lamenting, our annual self-flagellation as Washington fans regarding Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur. First of all, Dan Snyder should have backed Mike and Kyle Shanahan far more than Dan did during the crumbling of the relationship between the Shanahans and Robert Griffin III. That crumbling in so many ways is what all of this Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur stuff is about. Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur all started as Washington offensive assistants in 2010, which was Mike Shanahan's first season as Washington executive vice president slash head coach. In the cases of Kyle and Matt, their entire tenures with Washington were exactly what Mike's tenure with Washington ended up being. January 2010 to December 2013, Sean ended up staying on as offensive coordinator for Jay Gruden's first three seasons as Washington head coach. 2014 through 2016. What doomed Mike Shanahan's tenure with Washington more than anything was the complete disintegration of his relationship with Robert Griffin III, who of course had a spectacular 2012 rookie season during which Washington went 10-6 and and won the NFC East, then suffered a torn right ACL and LCL in the Seattle game, the 24-14 loss to the Seahawks at FedEx Field in a wildcard game in January 2013, and then was a shell of himself in a 2013 season in which major internal problems between RG3 and the Shanahans came to light. What happened between the Shanahans and RG3 was a function of a lot of things, but maybe the biggest one was Washington's owner, Dan Snyder, aka the Danny, having grown too close to RG3 and having empowered RG3. RG3 felt invincible to where at one point, He famously wrote on a whiteboard the plays that he would and would not run for the Shanahans. Mike, at one point in a conversation with Dan, told him that he was screwing everything up with his empowering of RG3. But what ultimately happened? Mike got fired and RG3 remained as a Washington quarterback through the 2015 season. Imagine if Dan Snyder had backed Mike Shanahan. Imagine if Dan had been, wait for it, the adult and told Robert Griffin III, hey, Mike's the boss. 
He's our executive vice president slash head coach. He has my full support. You are to do as Mike says. Think about what that might have meant for Washington. You know, something that I'll never forget about Washington's 2013 season was the team not having any read option plays in its game plans for the first few games of the 2013 regular season. How do I know this? Well, I was doing a radio show with Chris Cooley at the time. Uh, We often did the show from Redskins Park, and Cooley would gain access to Washington's game plans and would see that they had no read option plays, despite Washington, right, having had incredible success with the read option in that 2012 season. Why were there no read option plays in Washington's game plans over the first few weeks of the 2013 regular season? Because RG3 didn't want to run read option plays anymore. He wanted to be like Aaron Rodgers and be more of a pocket passer, even though RG3 was nowhere close to being ready to be like Aaron Rodgers and be more of a pocket passer. And so Washington began the 2013 regular season 0-3 and route to a 3-13 season in which Mike, in December 2013, benched RG3 in favor of Kirk Cousins. And I will never forget the press conference at which Mike announced this. He was as red-faced as he ever was, and he was saying all kinds of things, including my favorite thing, which was that he had lied about a lot of stuff, but this time, he was telling the truth. Take a listen. What I'm trying to do is be as honest as I can, and I don't normally do that. Yes, that is my all-time favorite Mike Shanahan bite from his time with Washington. Yeah, I've been lying to you for years, but this time, this time, I'm telling you the truth. What I'm trying to do is be as honest as I can, and I don't normally do that. Exactly, Mike. That is an all-timer. Anyway, had Dan Snyder backed Mike Shanahan in his issues with Robert Griffin III, that 2013 season might have gotten much better. Heck, two games in which Washington did run a good bit of read option plays were two terrific wins in which RG3 looked good, looked like his 2012 self, a 45-41 shootout win over the Chicago Bears at FedEx Field in Week 7, and a 30-24 overtime win over the San Diego Chargers at FedEx Field in Week 9. And had Mike lasted with Washington beyond the 2013 season with an RG3 who was on board with playing the way that he needed to play, perhaps Mike's tenure would have worked out in a much better way, and perhaps Mike's successor as Washington head coach would have been Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, or Matt LaFleur. But all of this conveniently ignores multiple realities that make the annual lamenting of Washington fans regarding Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur a bit over the top. Reality number one, Mike Shanahan's tenure as Washington executive vice president slash head coach didn't end solely because of the blow up of the relationship with Robert Griffin III. Understand, Washington lost at least 10 games in three of Mike's four seasons with Washington. 2010, Washington went 6 and 10. 2011, Washington went 5 and 11. 2013, Washington went 3 and 13 in a season that Washington ended with an eight game losing streak. The idea that Mike Shanahan did so many things well with Washington and would have continued to do well with Washington if not for what happened with Robert Griffin III is revisionist history. Heck, if you take out Washington's seven-game winning streak 
that ended the 2012 regular season. Mike with Washington had a regular season record of 17 and 40. That's horrible. So it's true that Mike Shanahan's overall body of work with Washington was bad. It's also true that Mike, in his dying days as Washington head coach, started leaking a number of things to the media, including a bunch of stuff to ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano in a famous piece that came out on December 8th, 2013. Began the piece, quote, as speculation mounts about Mike Shanahan's future in Washington, details have emerged about the coach's dissatisfaction with the relationship between owner Dan Snyder and quarterback Robert Griffin III. Disillusioned with the way Snyder was running the organization, Shanahan cleaned out his office in advance of last January's wildcard playoff game against the Seattle Seahawks and expected to leave the team whenever the season ended, according to a source who spoke on the condition of anonymity. The source said Washington had grown tired of the way Snyder empowered Griffin and openly esteemed him above all other players. Shanahan didn't blame Griffin, but did blame Snyder for creating an atmosphere that Shanahan did not believe was conducive to winning. Shanahan privately told people close to him that he felt Snyder's behavior with regard to Griffin was a complete farce. End quote. Who was the source to whom Graziano was referring? Well, you may already know this, but in case you don't, the source was Mike Shanahan. And so Mike Shanahan in December 2013 had to go. And if he had to go, then so too did his coaching staff. And that staff included Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur. Although McVay ultimately was retained. More on McVeigh in a bit. But reality number two, specifically with Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur, they weren't necessarily viewed as surefire NFL head coaches for a while. Two things that were clear about Kyle Shanahan during his time as Washington offensive coordinator were that he knew offense, but also that he had some growing up to do. You know, Kyle lacked a bedside manner, if you will, Kyle had an arrogance about him that rubbed some people the wrong way. And perhaps not so coincidentally, Kyle bounced around the NFL a bit after his time as Washington offensive coordinator. Kyle spent one season as a Cleveland Browns offensive coordinator, the 2014 season, before serving as Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator for the 2015 and 2016 seasons. The 2016 Atlanta Falcons won the NFC championship before famously blowing a 28-3 third quarter lead to the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 51, which the Pats won 34-28 in overtime. Uh, Matt LaFleur, he was not as well regarded as Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay were during their time with Washington. And Matt bounced around football quite a bit between his time as Washington quarterbacks coach and his time as Green Bay Packers head coach. Matt served as Notre Dame quarterbacks coach for the 2014 season. Matt served as Atlanta Falcons quarterbacks coach for the 2015 and 2016 seasons with Kyle Shanahan as Falcons offensive coordinator. Matt served as Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator for the 2017 season, which was Sean McVay's first season as Rams head coach. Matt served as Tennessee Titans offensive coordinator for the 2018 season. It took years for both Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur after their tenures with Washington to be ready to be NFL head coaches. So like, if we're going to have this lament, especially about Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur, well, 
should the Cleveland Browns have that lament? Because Kyle was with the Browns more recently than he was with Washington. Should the Falcons have that lament? Because Kyle was with the Falcons more recently than he was with Washington. You get the idea. Like, this is not as simple as Washington had these guys. They were all ready to be NFL head coaches right then and there, and Washington fired all three of these guys. Like, no, there's a little more nuance to all of this than that. That brings us to reality number three. While Sean McVay is most worthy of the lamenting from Washington fans, even his situation requires significant context. So Sean McVay was a part of Washington's Tampa Mafia. He served as an offensive assistant with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the 2008 season, during which Bruce Allen was the Bucs general manager and Jay Gruden was a Bucs offensive assistant. So McVay being retained by Washington in 2014 wasn't a shock, especially considering that he was considered wise beyond his years as an NFL head coach. Sean McVay did an excellent job in his second and third seasons as Washington offensive coordinator, 2015 and 2016. Washington's passing offense in each of those two seasons was really good with, yes, Kirk Cousins as Washington's starting quarterback. Sean's stock soared to where he was viewed as an ultra-smart, ultra-prepared, and ultra-detail-oriented guy who very much had a future as an NFL head coach. But that future came sooner than most people expected. The Los Angeles Rams in January 2017 made Sean McVay the youngest head coach in modern NFL history at the age of just 30. Now, given the benefit of hindsight, what Washington should have done is fire Jay Gruden as head coach and promote Sean McVay to head coach. But that is a significant hindsight thing to say, given A, Washington had just gone 9-7 and seven and won the NFC East in the 2015 season and then gone 8-7-1 and one in the 2016 season, giving the team back-to-back winning seasons for the first time since the 1996 and 1997 seasons. B, Sean McVay was 30 years old and a total unknown as an NFL head coach. Imagine if Dan Snyder in January 2017 had fired Jay Gruden as head coach of the franchise having back-to-back winning seasons for the first time in nearly 20 years in favor of a 30-year-old wonder boy. Can you imagine the reaction? Dan would have gotten slammed for doing this. Dan would have gotten eviscerated for being the same old reactionary and impulsive owner that he had been. Now, it is true that Washington's 2016 season had ended with a horrendous loss, that 1910 loss to the New York Giants at FedEx Field in a game that cost Washington a playoff spot. But still, Washington in January 2017 firing Jay in favor of Sean as head coach, while it would have been the right move, was a huge ask. And it's not like there were a bunch of people saying that Washington should have done that at the time. So yes, it is understandable as a Washington fan to shake your head at the successes of former Washington offensive assistants Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, and Matt LaFleur as NFL head coaches. But understand the intricacies of what actually happened. Well, as we've discussed on the podcast, the Capitals have had to overcome a lot this NHL season. Uh, They have had to overcome a lot in the way of injury. 
they have had to overcome a lot in the way of COVID-19 induced absence. But the Caps this season had not yet won a game that was decided in overtime. And the Caps this season had not yet overcome a multi-goal deficit to win a game. Both of those things now have changed. The Caps improved to 22-9-9 and with a 4-3 overtime win over the Winnipeg Jets at Capital One Arena on Tuesday night. So the Caps now 1-7 and in overtime games this season. Yes, finally, the Caps have won an overtime game this season. And the Caps won this game on Tuesday night by overcoming a 2-0 first period deficit. Now, the Caps did give up a game-tying even-strength goal by Pierre-Luc Dubois, 18.55 into the third period. But Tom Wilson then scored the game-winning even-strength goal just 26 seconds into overtime. And so this game marked the first time this season that the Caps overcame a multi-goal deficit to win a game. Uh, Caps are third in the Metropolitan Division at 53 points. Now, the Caps were, again, without multiple key players. Forward TJ Oshie did not play for a second consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in a 2-0 win at the New York Islanders on Saturday afternoon. Defenseman John Carlson did not play for a second consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Forward Connor Sheary did not play for a third consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Now, speaking of the NHL's COVID-19 protocol, we have a major update on that. The NHL and the NHL Players Association on Tuesday announced updates to the league's COVID protocol. The updates included that testing for COVID-19 as of February 4th, should things proceed well, will, quote, continue only on a limited four-cause basis in fully vaccinated players and staff who develop symptoms or require testing for cross-border travel, end quote. So the NHL is set to do what the NFL and NBA now do, test only those vaccinated players who are symptomatic. And that, to me, makes total sense. Uh, Now, this was something that was harpooned by some in the media mob as being, you know, reckless and irresponsible. Uh, The fear mongers are being proven wrong once again, because this approach to COVID-19 testing is working just fine in the NFL and NBA and should work just fine in the NHL. So good job, NHL. Also still out for the camps is forward Anthony Mantha. He remains out indefinitely due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th. So how about the hero for the Caps on Tuesday night? Tom Wilson. He is playing so well right now. Wilson scored the game-winning even-strength goal just 26 seconds into overtime, had a secondary assist, and per natural stat trick, finished number three on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 66.67. The Caps with Wilson on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 16 shot attempts versus allowing eight shot attempts. Wilson has been a puck possession monster in each of the Caps' last three games. His game-winning goal in overtime came on a putback of his own shot, which was set up by Evgeny Kuznetsov beautifully skating the puck from near the left corner in the Caps' defensive zone all the way up the ice and behind the Jets' net, and then Kuzi passed the puck to Wilson in the low slot. Uh, Kuzi's primary assist, his 27th assist of the season, and his team-best ninth game-winning assist of the season. You know, the NHL on Tuesday announced selections for the 2022 NHL All-Star Game, which will take place in Las Vegas on February 5th. Kuznetsov was not selected 
for the All-Star Game. He has a very compelling All-Star Game case, and we saw why with what he did on that game-winning goal for Tom Wilson on Tuesday night. But going back to Wilson, he now has scored a goal in each of three consecutive games of having not scored a goal in each of his previous seven games. Speaking of scoring a goal, Alex Ovechkin, he on Tuesday night had a goal. He had an even-strength goal, 16.58 into the first period, a team-high tying four shots on goal, and a team-high tying six-shot attempts. Alex Ovechkin's goal came on a wrist shot from the left circle off a really nice pass from Garnett Hathaway from the right circle through the slot. Uh, Ovechkin now number one in the NHL in goals this season with 27. Number one in the NHL in points this season at 55. And yes, he is an all-star. We mentioned this. Alex Ovechkin on Thursday was announced as captain of the Metropolitan Division for the 2022 NHL All-Star Game after topping the division in the 2022 NHL All-Star Fan Vote. This marks Ovechkin's franchise record 12th All-Star Game selection. Also shining for the Caps on Tuesday night was Alexi Protus. Alexi Protus is a six foot six rookie. Caps took him in the third round of the 2019 NHL Draft. He had an even strength goal, 415 into the third period. He, per natural stat trick, finished number two on the Caps and five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game at 70. The Caps with Protus on the ice in five-on-five situations, and the game had 14 shot attempts versus allowing six shot attempts. Here was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night, raving about the performance of Alexi Protus. I mean, you saw him really striding out there, and, you know, sometimes we forget how young he is, you know. And But you see him in a game like tonight, and you're like, oh, he's... He could be something, you know, like he, he played a really good game tonight and um, he uses his stride. He uses his reach. He's got a, a long, he got long arms with a long stick and it's heavy and he gets into those battles. He works his way into battles and he's able to come up with pucks and turn over pucks. And, um, you know, he's, he's been, he was impressive tonight. Yeah, Alexi Protis, one of many rookie caps pressed into action this season because of all of the injuries and absences, and he has done a nice job. Vitek Vanacek did a nice job on Tuesday night. He was a cap starting goaltender. He stopped 30 of the 33 shots on goal that he faced. He, per natural stat trick, stopped seven of the nine high danger shots on goal that he faced. Now, those numbers aren't spectacular, but this was one of those games in which the play in front of the goaltender wasn't exactly the greatest. So, all things considered, I thought Vitek Vanacek played well. Here was Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Vanacek's performance. Yeah, he was he was really good. Um, like I said, the, 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 the power play goal is a little bit fluky because it's off the end board. And then... Um, we, we just put too much in front of them, and they, they ended up scoring on a two-on-one on a cross pass, and um, we've got to do a better job defensively. We can't allow that to happen. And then from there, we, we made more mistakes, and he bailed us out, and he kept that game at a point where if we scored a goal, it's 2-1 going in. And so I thought he played a really good game. He had some saves early in the second period. Um, there were some saves on the power play, and then, like you said, in the third period. So I thought that he battled hard tonight and um, did a good job for us. Yeah, Caps per natural stat trick had 53 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Jets' 42. Caps did go 0-2 on the power play and just 3-4 on the penalty kill. Next up for the Caps at the Boston Bruins, Thursday night at 7.
Well, it has been a while since Maryland basketball had what you call a crater season. A season in which the bottom falls out. A season in which the team is just really bad. The last true crater season that Maryland had really was the 1992-1993 season. Yeah, you got to go back almost 30 years for the last true crater season that Maryland basketball had. The Terrapins in that 1992-1993 season went just 12-16 and overall and 2-14 and in the ACC. But since then, while the Terps haven't been great every season, they at least have been okay, relatively speaking. Well, the Terps are not okay. Uh, not right now, anyway. Uh, this season quickly is becoming a disaster. The head coach, Mark Turgeon, stepped down out of nowhere on December 3rd. And assistant coach, Bruce Shingler, is in the midst of a 30-day suspension for allegedly soliciting a prostitute. And the team just isn't very good. And we got more confirmation of that on Tuesday night as Maryland fell to 9-9 nine and nine overall and 1-6 and six in the Big Ten with an 83-64 loss at Michigan. Yes, a 19-point loss at Michigan. The game was a no-doubt route. The Terps never led in the game. They trailed by 20 points at the half at 39-19, and then trailed for double digits for the entirety of a second half that they did win 45-44. The Terps' defense was terrible in this game. The Terps allowed Michigan to go 8-20 on threes. The Terps allowed Michigan to go 27-40 of 40 on twos and outscore the Terps in the paint 44-24. The Terps got shredded by 7'1 Michigan center Hunter Dickinson, who went to DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. Uh, Dickinson had a thing against Mark Turgeon because, at least according to Dickinson, Turgeon didn't recruit Dickinson or didn't recruit Dickinson hard enough. Who knows truly what the truth is on that? But whatever the case, Hunter Dickinson torches Maryland now on the regular, and he torched Maryland on Tuesday night. Dickinson, one of two on threes, nine of 12 on twos. He finished with 21 points, six rebounds, six assists versus two turnovers, and two blocks in just 30 minutes as a starter. Uh, The Terps defense was woeful on Tuesday night. The Terps defense reeked of a team that had tapped out in terms of trying to play defense. And it's not like the Terps offense was lights out. Uh, The Terps went just six of 17 on threes. Maryland continues to be an atrocious three-point shooting team. Terps through 18 games this season now are shooting just 31.4% on threes. The Terps' three-point percentage for the season actually went up with what went down on Tuesday night. And the Terps on Tuesday night, again, went just six of 17 on threes. There also was this. Terps interim head coach Danny Manning shook up his starting lineup for a second consecutive game. You know, few things reek of desperation more, right, than the head coach shaking up his lineup. Well, Danny Manning now has shaken up his lineup in each of the last two Terrapins games. Uh, Danny Manning was back to starting Georgetown transfer and 6'11 big man Kudus Wahab. Uh, He had come off the bench in Maryland's previous game, the 70-59 loss to Rutgers at Xfinity Center in College Park on Saturday afternoon. But Kudus Wahab on Tuesday night in 16 minutes as a starter, just one rebound. Also, Danny Manning on Tuesday night started 
Utah transfer Ian Martinez and started Old Dominion graduate transfer Xavier Green as both Rhode Island transfer and point guard Fats Russell and Hakeem Hart came off the bench. And if you're wondering, well, was Danny Manning sending a message to Fats Russell and Hakeem Hart in not starting those guys? The answer is yes. Danny Manning admitted to this during his postgame press conference. Take a listen to this from Danny Manning on why he had Fats Russell and Hakeem Hart come off the bench. Um, just on Fats and Hakeem, you know, it's just across the board. You know, we need more from them, you know, and this is just a way to, uh, to challenge them. And, you know, we're at a point now where we're going to push some buttons, we're going to do some things that are a little bit different and, um, you know, see, see what happens from there. But that's that's what it is, you know. And so we just – everyone needs to continue to um, push forward and, and, and everyone needs to pull their collective weight and do the things that, you know, we need them to do for our team to be successful. But that's where it's at right now. You know, it's – you know, different looks, different lineups, different guys go in. Maybe this person can bring us some energy, some juice. Simon got in late. Thought he did some good things in terms of effort and energy and communicating on defense, things that he doesn't practice every day. So um, I thought Doc got in and made a really tough drive and a bucket at the end of the game. So, you know, it's that, that's where I'm at right now with, you know, rotations and substitutions. Yeah, very little is working for the Terps right now. Eric Ayala and Dante Scott on Tuesday night combined for 41 of the Terps' 64 points. Next up for Maryland, home to number 17, Illinois, Friday night at 7. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 233. We'll feature more on the Washington football team. I'll also talk Wizards and Virginia and Virginia Tech basketball off games on Wednesday night. The Wizards will host the Brooklyn Nets Wednesday night at 7. The Cavaliers will be at Pitt Wednesday night at 9. The Hokies will be at NC State Wednesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. What I'm trying to do is be as honest as I can, and I don't normally do that.